Aloha and welcome to Connection to the Cosmos with your host, me, Dr. Lisa Thompson, where I have out of this world conversations with extraordinary people. And today I am really excited to have on Mike Ricksecker. And you're going to understand why I'm really excited for this conversation when I read his bio and we start the conversation. First, a couple of announcements, though. If you have not had a chance to grab my free 20-minute meditative journey to meet your galactic family and guides, make sure you get that on my website, mysticmanta.com or drlisajthompson.com. And if you're coming to Hawaii, specifically to the Big Island, Kona side, come on one of my Big Island UFO tours where you will get to see the night sky in a whole new way using my advanced Generation 3 military night vision goggles. And we do have activity here in Hawaii. It is out of this world, truly. So without further ado, I'm going to bring on Mike. Hi, Mike. Hi, Lisa. Thank you for having me today. Yeah, it's great to have you. So let me um, read your bio for the audience because sure. you have a lot going on here. So researcher Mike Ricksecker is the author of the Amazon bestseller, A Walk in the Shadows, A Complete Guide to Shadow People and Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, as well as several historic paranormal books. He's appeared on multiple television shows and programs, including History Channel's Ancient Aliens and The Unexplained, Travel Channel's The Alaska Triangle, Discovery's Fright, Fright Club, Animal Planet's The Haunted, and multiple series on Gaia TV and more. Mike is the producer and director of the docuseries, The Shadow Dimension, available on several streaming platforms, and produces additional full-length content on ancient wisdom, lost civilizations, and the supernatural on his extensive YouTube channel. For more than six years, he has hosted the Edge of the Rabbit Hole live stream show and also hosts the Connecting the Universe interactive class. He operates his own book publishing and video production company, Haunted Road Media, representing a number of authors and winning the award for Excellent media in the paranormal field at the 2019 Shockfest Film Festival. Mike's historic paranormal articles have been published in the Baltimore Sun, Paranormal Underground Magazine, and he previously wrote an Oklahoma City paranormal column for examiner.com from 2010 to 2014. His work has also been featured in the Oklahoman, the Frederick News Post, Marshall University's The Parthenon and Louisiana State University's Civil War Book Review. He now hosts many of these articles along with informational videos and learning courses on the Connected Universe Portal website. A native of Cleveland, Ohio, Mike is a U.S. Air Force veteran with a degree in simulation programming and is an avid baseball fan. Well, wow, Mike. You have a lot going on there. Yeah, there's a few things in that bio, yeah. Right. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> so the first question that I always ask all of my guests, just so we can understand mm -hmm. kind of your background and how you got into this work, is kind of how did you grow up? Like spiritual, religious, something else? Like what got you? <laughs> how did you transition into this like paranormal, supernatural world? Yeah. Um, I mean, my, my background, I, I grew up Catholic. So, um, some of this stuff, you know, you know, it's interesting because my, my mom was always open to it. She's the one that's more religious. So there's some things where she didn't want to talk about it and didn't want to go down that road and other areas where she was more open to it. But, um, you know, for me, it always dates back to this. Um, and I had several experiences growing up, but the very first significant one was when I was about eight years old, 
woke up in the middle of the night and there's this tall, dark shadow standing in the corner of my bedroom. I had no idea who or what it was. Um, at that time, I had no idea it was uh, supernatural or otherworldly or um, and I've discovered over the years what it was. But uh, but back then, I just thought there was an intruder in the house. And, you know, if somebody was about to rob the place, you know, kill me, you know, whatever. That's where your mind goes at that age. But uh, fortunately, I'm still alive to tell the tale, which is wonderful. Uh, but did do something very unusual. It approached my bed, mm -hmm. leaned over. I'm trying to scream. You know, nothing's coming out of my mouth because I'm just too terrified. And I'm staring up at this blank black face. There's nothing there. No eyes, no nose, no mouth. Nothing. And... All of a sudden, it grabs me by the wrists, crosses my arms across my body, runs off down the hall, all places into a closet. At that point, I found my voice, found my legs, ran off screaming in my parents' bedroom about the whole thing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, they're nice, kind parents trying to console me, calm me down, trying to tell me I just had a bad dream. But, you know, I knew it wasn't a dream. You know, this was something that I was awake for and truly experienced. So that was like the really first substantial thing that happened that kind of set me down this path. Okay. And so when you were growing up though did you go right into the air force or did you um yeah i immediately like two weeks after graduating high school i i went into the air force i was a little upset by that um <laughs> uh, because the recruiter had uh had promised me that i would be able to spend the the whole summer with my friends that's what i want is like this is our last hurrah i want to spend yeah. time with my friends and uh nope it was you know, two weeks after graduation i was in the air force okay so then from the air force what started you like actually researching some of the stuff that you yeah multiple books on articles and all of this right yeah it actually it started before uh the air force before graduating high school uh the house that i moved into there uh in ohio I, that first experience we were living in massachusetts i'm originally from the cleveland ohio area okay and lived there until i was three moved to massachusetts for 10 years and then came back and that house there um had something and like i'm unpacking boxes putting things away there's this thing that would stand in the doorway you know looked like a person was very translucent eternal looking off would go and this is one of the things my mother acknowledged um that this thing was there and uh, you know this activity that lasted about three or four months that uh i ended up chalking up because it disappeared and didn't come back um at least not that i ever witnessed again Something that I thought was curious about us um, as a family, deemed we were okay and kind of went about its business. So um, I'd gotten a book uh, by Hans Holzer, started delving into a bit more of the paranormal side. Uh, I had my first little paranormal investigation when I was about 14, almost 15 years old. Had no idea that's what I was doing at the time. Um, but uh, you know, my... My friend Lori had thought her house was haunted. Uh, she's telling us this. My, my friend David and I were there. And uh, you know, she's telling us about things that go on in the house, things the room, her bedroom is haunted. And uh, it was a very old house. It was downtown of our of our small town. And so mm -hmm. we'd gone up there. And this this was a first for me, too, was with David. As we're kind of looking around, investigating, asking her more questions, she's telling us more stories. He put his hand flat to the wall. And all of a sudden, he turns this bright, bright red, starts sweating profusely. I'm looking at David like, oh, my gosh, you know, what is going on with my friend? I'd never seen anything like that before. I did not know he was, like, extremely sensitive like that. Still in touch with him, and he and I still talk about that that particular incident. Um, and, in fact, he reminded me of another incident that had happened at that house that I was living at when he was sleeping over one night um, that he had actually seen the apparition of a little boy. It's like, oh, my gosh, yeah, I 
I'd forgotten about all these years. And then he tells me, I remember you telling me about that. So there's a lot of things going on that, you know, I didn't have answers for and I was trying to find. And back then it's like, all you had was the library. Right. And, uh, and we were a small town library, so there wasn't a lot of content there. It was really mid nineties when, uh, finally getting the World Wide web. Right. And so finding different, uh, you know, forums, groups, Yahoo groups, uh, you know, connecting with people and sharing experiences and things like that. And finally being able to get my hands you know, on some real, you know, research material, material anymore. <laughs> Got some more Hansels or, um, Ironically enough, I'm very, very good friends with uh, his daughter these days. Okay. And, um, and yeah, that's kind of really where it started was in mid 90s, as far as like the research side and connecting yeah. with other people you know, across the world. Okay. So when you were in the Air Force, were you still having some of these interesting experiences? Like were you stationed anywhere where <clears throat> going on? Um, well, yeah, the, the last three years, it was at, at NSA. Um, I could tell you about all that, but then we just have to cancel your show. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, okay, well, but, that's uh, yeah. maybe flying interesting conversation. Yeah, yeah. But prior to that, uh, you know, I spent three years in Alaska. Um, and so that was really great when I was brought on to the Alaska Triangle television show. They had contacted me because I'd done some uh, some work and some videos on um, on, on portals and Inter interactivity between the supernatural and uh, different portals around the world. Mm -hmm. And they came across that material and were asking me those type of questions and then asked, you know, well, what do you know about this type of stuff in Alaska? I was like, well, there's the Alaska Triangle. They're like, that's the name of our show. Uh, but, uh, it, but that was a term that was getting thrown around a little bit when I was stationed there in the 90s. And some people called it Alaska's Bermuda Triangle because it has very similar properties. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I did witness things up there. People always go toward, you know, did you see UFOs up there? I, I did not see UFOs up there. They were talked about. They were definitely okay. talked about. I didn't see any myself. Uh, what happened uh, with me and many of us was inside the Alaska Command Building, which the last two years that was uh, where I was stationed at. It's the basement of that building. And not just myself, but many people in that facility saw these shadows moving about mostly in the back office area and um what's really fascinating uh, about this was um it, it kind of goes back into my current work on time mm -hmm. because the prevailing story going through around throughout the office was that the building was had been built as a hospital originally and our area down there in the basement had been the morgue and the server room where the server racks were and everything were where the coolers were, you know, the bodies. And so it was like, okay, that kind of makes sense. And, uh, and again, this is something that because we're in the military, we're not really talking very loudly about. It's really like kind of all amongst ourselves because yeah. <laughs> you don't want to find yourself down in mental health and getting your, your security clearance pulled. So, um, right. so but that was kind of the chatter amongst the, amongst the group was, had once been a hospital. So I'm doing the research from a book, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, and you know, I want to get the facts. So I'm researching the building and discover that it had only ever been used for command. What it, you know, that was what it was built for. It was never a hospital. So it's like, okay, yeah, this, this is interesting. So if these weren't you know, the souls of the deceased that, you know, 
were brought to the morgue, then what were they? And so I believe, and there's no way to prove it now because I can't you know, go to that building and investigate, unfortunately. But um, I believe that you know, we were seeing slips in time. That okay. We were seeing personnel from the past, maybe the future, maybe even ourselves. And uh, yeah, just getting faint glimpses, almost like echoes of mm-hmm. other moments. Interesting. Okay, so then let's move ahead because I do want to get to your book because that's one thing sure. I didn't show because you just published your newest book, Travels Through Time, which there I it is through reading. And <laughs> Thank you very much. A lot of information in here and a lot of it, um, just for anyone watching, you need to get this book. Like seriously, you need to get it. Um, <laughs> so Thank you. Okay, so then walk me through all because ultimately everything is building on itself for you to write this book for your understanding and so okay so we have you know stuff going on in alaska so then ultimately then you leave the air force right yeah and um i was living in maryland for quite a few years um and kind of you know dabbling in things on the side. Um, you know, I, I say that I've been involved some way, shape or form with the paranormal field for about 30 years. Um, but you know, early on, it was really kind of, you know, sporadic, do a little bit of research here, you know, do some, I had a you know, family of four kids, so <laughs> I was pretty preoccupied with some other things, but you know, whenever I could, you know, I delve into it, do some research. Um, some of the television shows are coming out, that sort of thing. And I'm a writer. I've been writing since I was in second grade, you know, seven years old, uh, writing little stories and, and all that. And so um, my first uh, book that I published, Deadly Airs, was actually a mystery novel. But I had some other uh, short stories that I had written that, you know, paranormal in nature, that sort of thing. And I had those as kind of like freebies on my website. And my uh, editor for uh, the, the publisher where I started publishing some of these books on ghosts and haunted history and that sort of thing. Uh, she reached out to me and said, uh, well, and this is how long ago it was, it was on MySpace. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, she says, I, you know, I know that you are a fiction writer, but I see that you have an interest in the paranormal and we are expanding our line of paranormal books, true stories of you know, real hauntings in various States. And since you live in Maryland, wondering if you would be willing to do that for us for Maryland. And, you know, I, I took a night to think about it, but it was really kind of almost a no brainer for me. It was, you know, here's an opportunity uh, presenting itself, basically falling right into my lap. And it was yeah. one of those, you know, the universe is telling me something here. Um, I'm going to go ahead and dive into it. And it really, it's just been a whirlwind ever since then. Okay. Cause yeah, you've been very prolific in terms of your writing and the research. So, um, I guess let's, well, let's tell me what was the inspiration then for writing the new book? Yeah. For travels through time. So time travel has always been something that has interested me. Uh, I, and I talk about it you know, a number of times throughout the book that the, the movie somewhere in time with Christopher Reeve and Jane Seymour was a major influence on me. Um, yeah. so much so that when, we had made that move back to Ohio, I had actually tried to do what he did in the movie. It was, you know, will my consciousness back in time? Cause I was, 
I was homesick. I wanted to go see my friends that I grew up with in Massachusetts. Um, it didn't quite work, but uh, I did get on the verge of uh, having an out-of-body experience, which he did have at the end of the movie. So not in a good way, but he did have that. Mm -hmm. um, so that that movie always really, really resonated with me. And I truly believe that you know time travel is real. It's going to be more than... You know, or something other than a DeLorean and a flux capacitor. It's going right. to be something that has to do with ourselves, our consciousness. Mm -hmm. And so that was something that over the years, as you know, I'm researching, getting involved with the paranormal field, that always seemed to come back again and again and again. Like with, you know, Alaska. Okay, you know, are these, you know, time slips here? And there's a, a lot of things during my investigations over the years that a lot of people take uh, you know, the view of you know, a haunting as it's you know, some sort of uh, human spirit. And it can be, but I think a lot of times we're actually getting a glimpse of some sort of time slip, kind of reflecting back on it now. So I was, after my last book, Alaska's Mysterious Triangle, I, you know, I have my Connected Universe portal site. And so the, you know, the idea that everything within the universe is connected, I truly believe that. Yeah. And so... I had started putting together a book called Connecting the Universe, which is you know, what my class and podcast is and everything, uh, and tying it all together, right? But, you know, hitting on a lot of different topics. So, you know, the time travel stuff was in there. My uh, work in Egypt uh, was going to be in there, the Stargates of uh, Ancient Egypt, uh, information on Atlantis, all these different subjects. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it was going to be this massive, prolific book. And it's a lot of material. But when I was in Egypt this February, I did this nice big presentation on the Stargates, Atlantis, time travel is in there, ancient symbolism, all that. And then we're driving off to uh, one of the temples. We're on the, I'm on the bus, and all of a sudden it hits me. No. Connecting the Universe is not a book. It's uh -huh. an entire series of books. Now, yeah. This is going to be a massive major project over many years, writing all these books. The first one that I'm going to do, and I had to debate on that a little bit, which one do I want to do first? But it made sense to me to tackle the information on time and time travel first, because that gives us a base from which to take everything else. You know, we're talking about, you know, the, the origins and the root of the universe, how the universe works. Mm -hmm. Okay. So in here, you're presenting an idea that you call stacked time. Is that what it, yeah, stack, stack time. time theory. Yeah. Okay. And so what's interesting is that, um, you know, one of the things that I learned 20 some years ago in my spiritual school was about all timelines being stacked parallel on top of mm -hmm. each other and that we can jump around, that we can tap into these different times and shift and see things from that higher perspective. Like if we're pulling ourselves into a higher state of consciousness and we can time travel that way as well. Um, going back to our, our younger child and giving the love that we never had maybe and, and affecting our future. And so I would love for you to explain in your words what, what this theory is. Yeah, absolutely. It's something that occurred to me uh, like 20 years ago or something like that. I think it was one of those moments, you know, tapping into the collective unconscious because, you know, 
after the thought occurred to me, I started doing some research. I was like, oh, this is not an entirely original idea. <laughs> you know, I pulled it from, from somewhere. So I think I tapped into the idea and, uh, and was able to grab that. And of course, I you know, discovered you know, Einstein had some similar concepts with his ideas of the space-time continuum and what he called the block universe. Uh, so basically, the, the idea here is that you know, take where you're sitting right now mm -hmm. and every moment that has happened, is happening, and will happen are all happening concurrently and each moment is stacked on top of each other like a photograph. Mm -hmm. And there are some moments in which, because you know, everything's resonance, frequency, vibration. Yeah. And those moments also have their own resonance and, and vibration. And there's times in which like two of those moments will suddenly resonate at the same frequency and we'll get a glimpse of one. And that's where some of these things like time slips uh, mm -hmm. come into play. And I think even, and I'm sure we're going to talk a little bit about it uh, later, like the whole doppelganger effect and that sort of thing. And I think when it comes to true time travel, what we'll be able to do is we'll be able to tune our consciousness, like consciously <laughs> tune our consciousness to these different moments and do basically just like Christopher Reeve did in Somewhere in Time. I think Richard Matheson, the writer, was onto something there. And, um, and be able to take ourselves to these different moments and be able to see and interact with those moments. Okay, so um, it's been years since I've seen that movie. And so reading your book, it made me like, oh, I need to go revisit that movie. But <laughs> so with, with your idea of taking your consciousness there, is that a physical experience too, or more of just an energetic frequency experience that you're proposing? Well, that's, that's, one of the big questions would your entire physical body be able to move to that point in time i would like to think so um but right now you know we're, we're talking consciousness i mean think one yeah. of the fascinating things about and i get into dimensions uh within the book is that you know, we are by nature a multi-dimensional being um, our consciousness is on the fourth dimension, which we call time, but it's residing within a three-dimensional body. Mm -hmm. um, so if we are willing our consciousness somewhere, I don't know if it's going to bring the body with it. Okay. Um, yeah. That part, there's still uh, some questions about that particular part of it. But if we are seeing time slips and we're, we're seeing a, you know, people fully in front of us, are we just seeing their consciousness or are we seeing them physically? Because a lot of times we see like an entire room too. And the, the room itself would be a physical object. So right. it's a good question. Yeah. yeah. Well, and okay. So one of the modalities that I do is past life regression therapy, but I'm starting mm -hmm. to change it to parallel life regression therapy because like you're saying, okay. there's no past, there's no future. And I know in the book you mentioned undergoing QHHT. So that's the same right. kind of thing. And so, in those kind of regressions where we're seeing other lives and energetically interacting with them, that is the same thing to me as time travel, because we're able to actually, at least the way that I work with clients, if they have blockages and limitations, we're able to make changes in that storyline. Mm -hmm. And that then when they come back to this life, it rewires the brain. And so what's, what was your experience with your... Yeah. My, my experience with, uh, 
with that part of it because there there are two sections to that uh, to that session. Right. The first part was a what we call past life regression, but I like I like your parallel life regression um, because yeah, that's you know, that is truly the way it, it would be. Is um, all time is concurrent, then I am living multiple lives at yes. the same time, and I could go visit myself uh, in the past. Absolutely. Uh, so, you know, that particular life was more medieval time. And I keep meaning to look up the type of, uh, roofing. It was like a particular type of thatched roof on these, on these buildings. I keep meaning to go look it up to find out exactly where this was. Um, uh, I'm so busy, but, uh, yes, medieval times was part of some religious order, religious sect, something, something that was away from the church. And of course, we're being persecuted by the church. Um, so we would you know, kind of congregate in these small rooms, uh, that sort of thing. And I was a scribe, go figure that <laughs> I was a scribe. You got, you got these other guys that are kind of leading, uh, the congregation for, uh, lack of better term, like speaking, you know, uh, different, you know, pieces of wisdom, that sort of thing. And, you know, I'm, I'm writing down what it is they're saying, you know, almost like taking meeting minutes, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, well, the other thing I got a glimpse of, and it was actually earlier in the uh, in the regression, was um, I walked into a house that pres presumably was mine, and a um, little girl walked in, uh, black hair, and um, she was my daughter. And I had I I didn't ask her this, but it just kind of the information came to me that the wife that I had had died. Not not too long ago, but she had uh, recently died, and you know, we had the little girl, um, so she was there with me. So it was it was interesting to to see this this other life and make a you know, very emotional connection with it. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, and maybe offsite, I'll share one of my experiences sure. of, of my ancient Egypt. I was not Egyptian; I was actually one of the ETs coming to interact oh. with um, during the building of the pyramid. So again, um, there's so, so much fun stuff with that. <laughs> so let's, okay. So in your book, you, that experience that you had when you were eight years old, you mm -hmm. eventually realized what in this, in this Q, one of the QHHT sessions, wasn't it? What your real experience yeah. with that was. So you want to share that? Yes, absolutely. It was the same session. It was the second half of that okay. session. Um, was, what she wanted to do was take me to a past life first. And then we were going to dive into something that I really wanted to know about, which was that experience that I had uh, when I was eight years old. Because uh, I, it was so, it was so long ago, and there's so many questions about it. And I'd gotten feedback from people over the years. Initially, a lot of people are, well, that's creepy, that sort of thing. Uh, but others had you know, chimed in to say, well, actually, what if this thing thought you were dead and were putting you into a burial pose like you know, ancient Egypt, you know, crook and flail okay, sort yeah, of thing? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, okay, that's interesting. So now all these different ideas are out there about this. So let's find out about it. And when this happened, um, Ariana was able to connect with this being and we were able to actually uh, communicate with it. Mm -hmm. And what was even really more fascinating is that it gave me a glimpse of the entire scene from its perspective. And so suddenly I'm seeing the entire scene from the corner of my bedroom, looking down 
at my little eight-year-old self. It was the most surreal thing. And you know, I could feel the emotions of the being that um, you know, it wasn't trying to scare me. In fact, it felt bad when it realized that I could actually see it because that was not its intention was to be seen. Yeah. Um, it wanted to remain unseen. And so once it figured out that I could see it and I was frightened, I could see my little mouth open up trying to scream and nothing, nothing was coming out. Um, it felt terrible. And so the whole thing of going over to the bed and putting, you know, crossing my arms like that was to give me a type of self hug. And then I could also see from that perspective, it kind of padded my wrist and then it took off down the hall to get out of there and stop scaring me. Mm -hmm. So it was a really, really fascinating viewpoint. And of course, Ariana's following up with some different questions like, you know, why were you there? And uh, basically it was, was on a research mission. You know, I was trying to discover more about humanity, more about this world. And its particular assignment that night was to uh, study a human child. And there it was. Uh, and then of course the question, where are you from? And this was really interesting because it responded with, I'm from another space. So the follow-up question was, do you mean another dimension? And the response was, well, you may call it another dimension, but really it's another space. And I thought that was the most fascinating thing because it's telling us yeah. that, you know, what we conceptualize right now with our science as different dimensions is really, it is not really what it is at all. We don't quite correctly conceptualize what dimensions are. You know, we've just put it into whatever our mind can wrap itself around right now, but it's something far greater. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I, I loved that story in your book. So thank you for sharing that. And also we Absolutely. needed to come full circle to explain like, yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah. And so when, so when you are, you know, have writing about shadow people, shadow dimension. Mm -hmm. That was it. That instance that really triggered that rabbit hole for you. Yeah, um, yeah. Because I, I did everything with shadow dimension. Um, I, I'm actually including so that's shadow dimension that's out right now. Is just the first season. I have filmed the second season. It's in post production right now. Part of that hypnosis session is in the very first episode. Okay. Uh, of that. So yeah, that really, er, everything that I was doing with writing the book, A Walk in the Shadows, and then filming the Shadow Dimension, all of that, yeah, that that really did inspire me to, okay, let's go ahead and try to find out exactly what happened here. Yeah. Okay. So you mentioned earlier, like maybe we could touch on doppelgangers and things like that. Sure. And so, I mean, there's just, you you have so many different pieces of information in this book. It's It's quite comprehensive, actually. So um, I think whoever's reading it will enjoy it because I mean you're you're touching on paradoxes and UFO missing time and all of it, you know, all of that. So yeah, it's all it's all related. It's all it's all connected together. So right. So share <laughs> share about the doppelganger effect. Yeah, yeah. The doppelgangers are uh, really interesting. There's, of course, doppelganger is uh, the German word for double walker, and you know, over the centuries, this has been related to like the evil twin and something that's trying to mimic you is up to you know, either being some sort of trickster or doing something nefarious. And you know, maybe there are some like that. When we look at like legends of the jinn and, and things like that, you know, maybe some of these are. But what I've found in a lot of the you know, quote unquote doppelganger stories, 
they actually appear to be more like time slips. So like the uh, German poet Goethe, he's walking down the road to Drusenheim one day. He's lost in thought. He's, yeah, he's having an affair with a young woman. He's just really lost in his thoughts, almost in a type of meditative state. And, you know, we can relate to this. Like when we're out mowing the lawn or we're driving somewhere and we just zone out and miss our turn, you know, that sort of thing. Um, so that's what's going on with him as he's walking down this road. And then he notices off to the side, there's another man coming from uh, the other direction. And he's wearing this strange uh, gold trim gray suit. And he suddenly disappears. And Goods is like, what in the world was that? You know, he didn't understand what was going on, how this guy could just disappear practically right in front of him like that. So fast forward a couple years later, Goods is walking down the same road again from the other direction. And as he's getting to that point where he had the previous experience, he looks down on himself and realizes, oh my gosh, I was the guy in the gold trim gray suit because he's wearing it right then and there. And yeah. what he had actually seen was himself so it gets if you do like a google search you'll find it in all these lists of doppelganger stories but it's not really a doppelganger it's yes it looks like him because it is him at another point in time and i think what happened was that he had gotten into such a meditative state while he was walking that he was actually able to tune into his own energy coming across that road at another point in time was actually able to get a glimpse of it so this is more like a time slip Okay, very interesting. So then let's, I guess, move to missing time with UFO experiences. Yeah, so you have a lot of, of course, famous cases like uh, Betty and Barney Hill, Travis Walton, um, but a lot of people report you know, having lost time during these uh, incidents of abduction. Mm -hmm. And it, it doesn't make a lot of sense. So if, you know, if they were... It would make sense, uh, I guess, if they were gone from Earth. Like, take Travis Walton. Like, he was gone for five days. You know, right. To him, it he thought when he returned, it was still the same night. That it, like Maybe you know, a few minutes or a couple hours had passed. He had no idea it had been days. So you know, what's happening when these abductions occur? Where are they going? That time works differently. Well, if these are beings, and I believe uh, many of our extraterrestrials are traveling here interdimensionally that they have figured out time they have figured out how to work you know from one moment to another well if they're you know taking people from this planet to do whatever if it's research or what have you and they're taking them into another dimension well time is going to work differently in that other dimension than it works here on earth so yeah naturally uh when they return here time is going to be very very different and uh you know and we see these throughout these type of stories throughout history even if you go back to like to your fairy lore um you know those beings that they were interacting with when they were taken into what they called the quote-unquote fairy realm time mm -hmm. worked differently yes yeah you share about the fairy realm and the changelings mm -hmm. and things like that so um it was fascinating because so my own experience because it was a nighttime experience i have no idea if i was missing time or not right <laughs> <But> yeah <laughs> I've met people who have had experiences and i've even um some of them i've helped recover their memories you know through regression okay. um to to understand what was going on and it is just 
a fascinating way to look at things. And even this whole idea of different, I guess, dimensional reality or space reality, and that mm -hmm. we are multidimensional, we are living multiple lives simultaneously. And so we can tap into these different pieces. So right. like, for me, when I'm working with my extraterrestrials, which are higher dimensional beings, I'm able to work with them because they're aspects of myself. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so I'm just, so I'm curious. Um, okay, I guess we're gonna, I wanna switch to, to Egypt because you mentioned Stargate. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so what, what have you found from your research? Oh, Egypt is amazing. So we do a uh, a yearly tour, Stargates of, of Ancient Egypt. Uh, and we're going back next April 17th to 28th. So I encourage your viewers to please join us. Uh, you can you know, get the links off of my social media and website. Uh, yeah, Egypt is, uh, well, it's just a life-changing experience going there. Um, yeah, giving my time. I'm sorry? It's on my list. On your list? Well, come along. <laughs> um, we get two hours, just our little group, ourselves, in the Great Pyramid of Giza. And everything's open to us. So there are sections there that are closed off to the public just for the regular daytime tours. Mm -hmm. We get it all opened up to us, two hours ourselves. It's amazing. I mean, the, the energy is palpable. Uh, you, you can feel it inside the pyramids. You can feel it inside the, the temples. And you know, like when it comes to the Stargates, we're, we're finding we're finding these in a lot of different locations. In fact, it almost became like a game this past tour, uh, as we're going to some of the different temples and uh, temples and find finding the symbols there. Oh, there's a Stargate over here. There's a Stargate over there. Um, but it's it's absolutely fascinating, you know, the way some of these uh, were set up. So like Hatshepsut's temple, you know, you have this grand staircase going back into the into the temple and, and basically the holy of holies is carved into the cliff so it's this grand staircase all the way back but what's fascinating about this is you have uh, along the side of the staircase now they are carved as falcons but pri previously prior to that they were actually uh snakes we believe cobras but there's no way to be too sure of that but they still have the snake tails going up the sides of the uh, of the staircase and so this was ancient uh ancient symbolism for energy life energy uh, and also even kinetic energy so you have this energy symbolism of energy going up the staircase off to the side is the base of an old pyramid i mean pyramid's essentially gone but the base of the pyramid is still there and there are many people who believe that uh, pyramids were used to harness earth energy and uh, be able to use that as an actual energy source. And for a long, long time, the traditionalists have kind of laughed at that. But a few weeks back, I think it was about a month ago, you know, there was a uh, paper that was released that said, well, actually, the, uh, yeah, that's actually true. The, the pyramids can harness the, the energy. Uh, they were specifically were testing the Great Pyramid of Giza, but yes, electromagnetism. Yeah. So yeah. you have an energy source there. And then as you go back into the temple, as you enter the different uh, sanctums, you're seeing the symbolism Stargate, 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 all the so way back. Stargates. So basically it's a, it's a, it's a star and a gate, but you have the, um, the bolt of cloth there, which is S and then the foot hieroglyph, which is B. So the, the word is Saba. And then you have uh, the, 
the other two symbols. So hieroglyphs are kind of a mix. Some of it's phonetic and some of them are uh, ideograms or, um, you know, they're demonstrative of you know, what the word is supposed to be. Mm -hmm. So um, so that's what we're seeing. We're seeing, we're seeing the Stargate symbolism and then the actual word Saba, which means Stargate. Okay. Uh, we're seeing this all the way back, all the way back. And then what's interesting, okay, you have the the bark call, which, you know, literally means you know, in ascension to the gods. And within that hall, there's a couple of guards that are set up there. They're not going to let you pass into the Holy of Holies. And in fact, there's a sign there that says, it's funny because it says, uh, tour guides do not enter here and explain anything. So they don't want, they don't want the tour guides telling you what's going on uh, inside these rooms. Interesting. Uh, so, okay. Yeah, so you're in the bar call. If you tip the uh, the guards that are there, they'll take a little photo for you. But you don't get the most important piece of this, and that is all the way back off to the one side, which you can't see from the bar call, is this cartouche full of stars. And so this is like the ultimate symbol uh, of, of the Stargate. And you get the whole setup there, right there, Hatshepsut's temple. It's absolutely amazing. Wow. Um, okay, so the other, one of the things that just I just remembered from your book, because it's near the end, is um, and this relates kind of to the Stargates of just symbolism and petroglyphs and things. And so mm -hmm. you've got yeah. circles within circles that might be representing portals or things of that nature. We have those here in Hawaii. And nice. actually, you, know, you were on this particular Ancient Aliens episode, but Ancient Aliens episode or season 14, episode 12, they mm -hmm. filmed here in Hawaii on the Big Island and were showing some of that symbolism. Yeah. And so is some of that symbolism in Egypt as well? Oh yeah, yeah, we see that symbolism all over the world. Uh, where you see the the spirals like that in Egypt is a lot on on some of the more ancient uh, pieces of of artwork, pottery, things like that. Um, you know, it's the just the spiral symbol, and uh, they have one there. It's on a cosmic egg. You know, so it, it was used extensively, but you see uh, the spirals there in Sardinia, you see it in Ireland, the American Southwest. Mm -hmm. uh, it was fascinating here. Uh, just a couple of weeks ago, they aired the episode, uh, the, Skin, uh, the Skinwalker Ranch show. And now that's an area where they've also had those, uh, those spiral petroglyphs. And the, the uh, indigenous peoples there say, these are indicative of portals and you got the uh, stone circle on top of the mesa which was supposed to be where the portals at well they were doing in a, a native american drum circle down at the bottom and they've got a FLIR camera set up you know to see if there's any you know, whatever heat signatures may be given off because it's dark it's at night they're doing the drum circle boom 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 and they're getting a heat signature off of the stone circle on the top of the mesa so it's like ah here it is yeah uh, the the energy and the vibration from the drumming is activating the stone circle. Amazing. Wow. Well, one thing I just, I think that's funny about the whole um, tour guides, not being able to tell you the information mm -hmm. in Egypt as well, because in, you know, I just got back from Peru with our, our mutual friend, Connie. Um, yeah. So it was really interesting because, you know, we're, we're at these, archaeological sites and the the official peruvian story is the incas built all of this and it's like 
Um, 600 years ago, the technology for these megalithic stones and the stories that they're telling of, they take it from this one mountain where we're at 12,000, 13,000 feet. Right? Mm -hmm. You can barely breathe. So right. you're taking these mega stones from this mountain, rolling them down the hill, rolling them across the valley, and then all the way up this mountain to create this structure. And yeah. so sure they did right? and the most and the most sophisticated stuff is the oldest stuff it, you know, right doesn't right. make any and sense the first so the first site we were at um our guide al he's telling us the story and i'm just like mm -hmm. bullshit 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 and my husband he's trying to shush me because he he he, <laughs> he likes to keep the peace and i'm like no mm -hmm. i'm not gonna shush <laughs> and so then right. i'm like what about ancient aliens <laughs> to Al? And he pulls me aside. This is my guide. And he's like, mm -hmm. like I believe in that too. <laughs> <laughs> and That's so awesome. we start having this. That was at the beginning of our trip. So for the rest of the trip, I got to have real conversations with him because I opened that yeah. door. And yeah. so he couldn't do it officially as our tour guide. But what was interesting is that um, a couple of the other guides we had, they, oh, when I asked directly, mm -hmm. they were able to share their stories. But otherwise, yeah. as a tour guide, you know, they're licensed by the country and they're not allowed to do that. So I'm curious, are the yeah. tour guides in Egypt similar? Like, can you ask them questions and then you, they can? You can. So it, it depends on who you get. Our tour guide, Mohammed Ibrahim, um, absolutely amazing. So he's been doing the tours out there for over 20 years. He he studied under Zahi Hawass. Now, and Zahi, <laughs> he follows the narrative. If you do anything with Zahi Hawass, um, and it's interesting because as other tour guides are, are you know passing us by, we're hearing the narrative from them. And Muhammad's like, "Don't listen to them. Don't listen to them." Um, now he, now there's certain areas where they, yeah, have the signs, tour guides. You, you know, don't say anything in here. But then Muhammad would be like, "All right, well, let me tell you what's going on in there." He'll tell you the real story. So, uh, so our tour from that perspective would be considered to you know the Egyptian authorities as a uh, you know alternative history type of a tour. But really, it's no, this is the real history type of tour. Yeah. Okay. Because you do this kind of research, and I again, I'm a former academic, like mainstream scientist, where mm -hmm. you know there, it is extremely confined as to yeah. what they will accept. And if you're going against the narrative or even being open-minded and trying to explore these other ideas, you don't get the grant funding, you know, you, yeah, you lose your funding. Out. Yeah. You, right. You think, so from your perspective, what do you think they're so afraid of? Like, why do they not want us to know stuff? There's, there's uh, huh. So, okay, let me give an example here. We were a couple years ago at the Temple of Dandara. And there's, you know, everybody's really familiar with the crypt that has the, what they call the Dandara light bulb. Mm, well, yeah. there's more than one of those crypts at the temple. The other side, there's another one. But that had been closed off for like 25 years. Maybe it was 20, 25 years, something like that. We were, they, this is what they told us, that we were the first group to go down there after it's opening because we were, that was you know, right after COVID. And so there weren't a lot of people coming by. So we just happened to be apparently the first ones uh, to go down there. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, as we're walking down the strip, you got all these freezes and hieroglyphs and, you know, stuff like that around. But then you notice that there are these big chunks hanging out of the side of the walls. And it's like, what the heck is going on here? Because it's right. not like, you know, they just fell. There's no rubble, but, you know, I guess they would have cleaned that up anyway. But large chunks. You take a closer look and it's like, wait a minute. Those are chisel marks. And they're kind of fresh because, you know, they're white. You know, there's not like a patina that's really built up on that. So yeah. it's like, these are pieces that were recently taken. Hmm. So uh, I went back up and I'm asking the question, what what happened down there? What's going on? Um, and so I got pulled off to the side and it's like, those pieces were taken by private collectors. And basically what happened over the last 20 years or so is there were certain pieces that were considered like power pieces, you know, uh, pieces that had ancient esoteric wisdom and knowledge mm-hmm. that they wanted for themselves. And they basically had a bidding war on those pieces and those were removed. And so that's kind of the thing here. There are, uh, there's a faction of people around the world that believe if they have these particular power pieces and they will have the knowledge and the power, they will, you know, not saying they'll live immortally but they will live longer lives they'll have you know a more successful life of course you have people that believe that are they are descended directly from the anunnaki so they feel that they are entitled to these yeah. pieces because they are descended from the anunnaki uh things like that and so you know that's a part of the story that they definitely don't want getting out so we'll, we'll keep it to this nice confined little story over here because <laughs> uh the other one there is probably gonna be a little bit more disturbing for for the common folk okay well so as we keep discovering older and older sites like yeah i mean archaeologists mainstream archaeologists uh, i mean i'm hoping at some point they're going to be able to like oh maybe there is something more than what we have, you know, we have this very narrow tunnel vision mindset mm-hmm. of what happened. And so do you see that in, in talking and doing the research? Do you see that starting to shift or are we kind of still pretty far away? I think we're starting to get a little bit of a shift. It's just, it take, it's taking time uh, because the, the people that have been holding on to that narrative for so long that they've been around, but they're, they're starting to, you know, pass away. Um, you have now enough people that have been watching ancient aliens that have been reading Graham Hancock, um, you know, that are starting to become aware and are asking the questions and are no longer being sold on the narrative. We saw the same thing, you know, happen over the years with, with UFOs and UAPs, you know, at the beginning, it was like, uh, you guys are, you know, all crazy or all wackos. Right. You get the tinfoil hat. Yeah. All that. But now it's becoming more accepted to the point that we're actually hearing, you know, details in Congress. And it's like, okay, the, the things that they were talking about in that UIP hearing here a couple of weeks ago, mm-hmm. those that have been involved with the community for what we've heard those stories and maybe not necessarily from those guys, but right. we've heard these type of stories for decades, but it's great now that it's being recognized and written into the official record uh, on, on the government side. So I think that will eventually happen. It's just going to take some time, ironically yeah. enough. <laughs> yeah. Well, and okay. So part of my, cons- I, I'm glad that, you know, it's starting to come out and it makes mm-hmm. it easier to talk about because like for me, 
I had to pretend to be normal for most of my life, yeah. even though I'm not, because <laughs> I, really, <laughs> I had very mainstream careers. And so yeah. when I finally moved here to Hawaii um, almost three years ago, I was able to let go and just be like, okay, yeah. yep, I've had experiences. I talk to them. I do this. And I so for me, it's been a beautiful thing that people are, you know, the government saying, okay, yes, these things are real. Um, this yeah. phenomenon is real. So not that I need the validation, but it helps the people out there that have been really right. skeptical, help them understand that we are not crazy. Um, now some people still think I'm crazy because I talk to them, Yeah, uh, you know, that's whatever. It's <laughs> <I, I>, <laughs> another story. I, yeah. I'm at the age of my life where what other people think of me is none of my business. Yeah. Um, but it's just interesting that they're still kind of spinning a narrative of fear. Um, a lot of the TV shows, like you, you know, you've been on travel channel, Travel Channel TV shows, when it comes to UFO, UAP phenomena, tend to be very fear-based. Right. Um, you know, the government, we, we have to perceive this as a threat. I mean, your former Air Force. Yeah, national security, et cetera. Yeah. Exactly. And so um, so part of my mission is to actually change that fear-based mm -hmm. narrative because that is not my experience, not my understanding of these groups. Um, so right. I'm what your perspective is yeah no i i mean i've had to deal with the same thing with uh like a lot of my research with the shadow phenomena of television shows and, and interviews and things like that that i've been on uh concerning that very very similar uh with, with the et side and that you know a lot of people think you know they're evil nasty malevolent demonic you know all these different things yeah. uh because that's kind of what's been ingrained in them and it's like no no, no. you know just like you know, with, with humans, you know, some of these things are going to be good. Some of them are going to be bad. Same. And I think same with ETs. Yes, you have, yeah. you have some that are going to be nasty, but right. you're also going to have ones that are very nice and benevolent. And really when it comes down to it, it you're going to fall somewhere in the middle. Right. <laughs> so, um, so yeah, that's been something that I've been trying to dispel in other areas as well. You know, it seems like people just yeah, they're stuck on the poles. It's either all evil or all good. And it's like, mm, it's a lot of gray in color here. So, there is. Yeah. Well, yeah. I appreciate that perspective. And that's one thing that I, in my teachings and my tours, everything, you know, I try to explain that mm -hmm. just like, just like humans. Yeah. Um, yeah, the problem, the problem is, you know, fear sells on TV. It does, right? Yeah. I know. Just having a conversation um, with one of my other guests about that because, and how sad is that, that fear sells like yep. love and all of this beautiful other stuff should be selling, but it doesn't make money for some reason. <laughs> well, <laughs> our last little bit of time here, what else would you like to share with the audience? Just as final words of wisdom oh or my gosh. coming for you that you want to promote? Um, well, yeah, I mean, I have a number of different things uh, coming up here. Of course, the, the Egypt tour, uh, which is in April. I do have a couple of, I have a book signing uh tomorrow in fort wayne indiana but i think your your show is going to go up after that oh, <laughs> probably yeah. um but i'm going to be uh presenting at michigan paracon here at the end of uh august and then phenomicon in utah at the beginning of september and um let's see what else i have another uh i have a connecting the university event in middleborough massachusetts at the beginning of december so i have another a number of different things that are lining up here 
perfect. And yeah. so tell people how to find you. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so MikeRicksucker.com is my primary website. I also have ConnectedUniversePortal.com, which is an online learning platform. I do my Connecting Universe class there uh, every Wednesday night and host um, have a couple of just straight courses there uh, on shadow entities, ancient Egypt, things like that. And then on the member portal, you know, I have monthly Q&A videos, I have behind the scenes videos, I have large sections on, again, ancient Egypt, Ireland, American Southwest whole bunch of information and articles and things like that. So that's connectuniverseportal.com. Okay. And the and books can be found all those sites, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. Yeah. Yeah. And what's your YouTube channel? Oh yeah. YouTube channel is uh just do at uh at M Rick Secker. Yeah. I, I have to think about that because the the YouTube channel was registered as, as Haunted Road Media uh, a long time ago. And they've done the whole thing now where you can do at and then a name if you want to change oh, yeah. up the name of it. But yeah. I couldn't claim at Mike Ricksecker because I had an old channel from like years ago um, that ended up getting used to on YouTube. There used to be a thing called click bombing and um, that happened to my channel. They basically shut down the channel and I can't claim at Mike Ricksecker because it's still recognized somewhere in the system. Is not being mine. So okay. yeah, it's at M Rick Secker. <laughs> okay. Well, Mike, it was been a pleasure to have you here and maybe um, you'll be able to come back on sometime in the future. Yeah, that'd be great. This is a wonderful conversation. So I really appreciate it, Lisa. Yeah, I really enjoyed this. And I hope um, everyone watching, listening has enjoyed it too. And I will see you next time on Connection to the Cosmos.